Well, last week we started out Jonah in the series looking at what it looks like for us to share in God's missional heart. That's really the, the big idea through Jonah. It's revealing to us a God who is a missional God. And if you remember our little uh, phrase from last week, maybe you can remember off by heart, I don't know, but we've said that God desires to save sinners, to send saved sinners, to save more sinners. Remember that? God desires to save sinners and send saved sinners to save more sinners. You'll know that off by heart by the end of these four weeks. And that is God's heart. It is a missional heart. And we said that we need to remember, if we are Christians, that God doesn't desire just to save us. As spectacular and as glorious and as wonderful as that is, he doesn't desire just to save us. He wants to work through us to save more sinners. That is his heart. That is why Liberty Church exists. That's why we're here. So over the next four weeks, we're going to see through the life of Jonah and the life of Jesus, who we also said last week is all over this book. Even though it was written 500, 600 years before Jesus was born and and lived out his ministry, he is all over this book. We're going to see through Jonah's life, through Jesus' life, four different aspects of the missional life that every Christian is called into. The life of obedience, and we're going to look at that this week in chapter 1. Next week, a life that, that is holding on to good theology in chapter two. In chapter three, a life that is fueled by faith and not, not necessarily saving faith, but faith that believes that God can and will do what he said he's going to do. And then finally, in chapter four, a life filled with compassion. And as we start in chapter one here, here's what we're going to see this week. As we think about, about the missional life being a life of obedience, we're going to see this. That obedience to God is sometimes hard. I think we, we know that. If you've been a Christian for more than a few seconds, you know that obedience to God is sometimes hard. And I want us just to tease out as we go through chapter one, why that is, like why obedience to God, particularly when we're called into mission, why we struggle with that, why we find it difficult. Obedience to God is sometimes hard, but it is always joyful. That's what we're gonna see. It's sometimes hard, but it is always joyful. So let's start with this. Obedience to God in mission in particular can be hard. Let me just read the first couple of verses to us again. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah and it says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Went down to Joppa, found a ship, paid a fare, went down into it, went with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Obedience can be hard. Jonah's given a really clear mission. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. I want you to go to these people. Go to the Ninevites. Their evil has come up against the Lord and he wants Jonah to go and call out against it. He wants to to send Jonah as his missionary to Nineveh. But he runs from God. And actually, we read through the whole of Jonah last week. And if you know the story already, you know that by the time we get to chapter four, it's almost comical, like how selfish Jonah is, like how stupid he becomes and how foolish he becomes. And by the time we're finished in in chapter four, we're almost like, like, what planet are you on, Jonah? Like, how crazy could you be? And I think, I think it's okay to have that kind of response to Jonah as long as we see that actually that's every one of us. 
that we so often respond in the same way. See, tucked into chapter one here is the uncomfortable reality that the mission that every believer is caught up to for God to save sinners and send safe sinners to save more sinners, that mission that we're wrapped up into, it is hard. It's difficult. And sometimes, just like Jonah does, sometimes we want to run away from it because it just feels like too much. And here in chapter four, in the life of Jonah, I think we see four reasons why we find it so hard. Firstly, the pop-up here, we get scared. We're fearful. We're nervous of sharing God's good message of salvation. We get anxious about moving towards sinners, moving towards unbelievers and telling them that there is only one way to salvation and it is only found in Jesus. Like, like I feel that. Anyone else share that fear? We get nervous. Our, our palms get sticky and we start to clam up and we, we stumble over our words sometimes, even if we get that far. And Jonah, I, I'm pretty sure he was scared. He was fearful. And actually, if we knew who the Ninevites were, I think we'd be scared too. We were having this conversation last week, weren't we, Martha? These Ninevites weren't nice people. Nineveh was the, the second city in the Assyrian Empire and it had a reputation not a good reputation. Archaeologists today who are uncovering artwork and inscriptions from Nineveh describe some of the scenes that they see in these pictures as the most appalling images that have ever been created. They were that barbaric, torture scenes. And these archaeologists are, are, are stunned in a bad way by what they see. They're uncovering images of prisoners' tongues being ripped from their mouths so that their screams are muted during the next stage of torture when they're flayed alive so their skin falls off them. They were known to have prisoners grind the bones of their fathers and then eat the bones before they were executed in the streets. They would perform mass beheadings, mass impalements. They would gouge out eyes, cut off limbs and just leave you to bleed to death. They were known to peel off the skin of their enemies and nail it to the city walls. It was actually these guys who invented crucifixion and the Romans perfected it, but, but they invented it. Nahum, as he writes uh, a little bit later on, he describes Nineveh as a city of bloodshed. And so when we say that Jonah gets a bit scared of going to Nineveh, we can see why, right? Like these weren't nice people. Now, my guess is the people that we're sent to, our colleagues, our friends, our neighbours, they're probably not going to skin us alive. But we still fear fearful of sharing the gospel with them. So there's fear and then there's preference. The mission of God can be hard because of preference, because of things that we like and things that we don't like. Like I actually think as you read through the whole story, Jonah didn't like the Ninevites. He was scared of them, but he also didn't like them. The Assyrians were the enemies of the nation of Israel. And there's an element of preference going on, I think, in Jonah's heart. He didn't want to go to them and he actually didn't want them to be saved. And it doesn't stop with him. It's interesting. Did you see the name of the port that Jonah goes down to? He goes to a place called Joppa. Now that, if you know your Bible and in particular the New Testament, that might kind of think, oh, I've heard that somewhere before. The port of Joppa pops up again later in the Bible. In the New Testament... A few weeks after Pentecost, the early church is being formed and the apostle Peter finds himself in a bit of a, a, bit of a Jonah moment. 
So Peter has been commissioned by God to go and take the gospel to the nations, not just to the Jews, to Jews and the Gentiles, to to all peoples. And in Acts chapter 10, he's told to go to this same port, the port of Joppa, and find a man called Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. And if you know this part of of Acts, you'll know that that Peter receives this vision. You know, the, the, the blanket coming down from heaven and it's got all the different types of food in it. And the Lord is telling Peter, listen, this gospel, this good news, it isn't just for the Jews. It is for all nations, for Jew and for Gentile. See, Peter had a preference problem. He just wanted the gospel to go to his people. And the Lord says, no, that's not right. It's for all people. In the same place that Jonah decides to run from the mission of God, Peter finds himself confronted with the reality. No, no, no. The gospel is for all who would believe. Now, I would guess for us, ours isn't a nationalistic type preference, but we do wrestle with preference. We'd much rather go to people and share the gospel with people who are like us, wouldn't we, if we're honest? than people who aren't like us, people who look like us, people who speak like us, people who have the same interests as us, people who have the the same kind of socioeconomic stability as us. We struggle with preference. What about apathy? Fear, preference and apathy. Jonah gets into the boat and the boat sets off in verse four and then God sends the storm and like this isn't any normal storm. It's deliberately weaved through in the narrative here to help us see that this was, this was a, a, a one-off kind of unique storm. It was a great wind, we're told, a mighty tempest. So bad was this storm that it's going to break up the boat. It's that bad that these, these sea-hardy sailors are terrified. Like they literally think they're going to die. Like world war, whatever is going off on top of the boat. And in verse 5, where's Jonah? In the bottom of a boat asleep he's asleep now i don't know about you but but when there's something important on my mind i struggle to sleep like at the very best i'll sleep lightly clearly joan is quite comfortable to slip off into the deepest type of sleep there's no tossing there's no turning joan is quite happy not to go to nineveh and he's not losing any sleep over it Folks, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we find ourselves in the same position when it comes to the mission that we're called into. We don't lose any sleep over it. And we become apathetic to it. We become apathetic to the lost around us. Last week, we were talking about trying to share in the heart of God, trying to to just have even just a a small sense of, of how Christ engaged with the lost. There's Jesus stands before the crowds and he sees them as sheep without a shepherd, harassed, lost. And, he, and he's able to see, and we can't do this in the same way, but he sees into their souls and sees their lostness. And he has a deep, gut-wrenching compassion. How often do we just walk through the streets or engage with those around us, completely apathetic to their eternal reality? Just like Jonah, we struggle with apathy and just like Jonah, we struggle with comfort. We have the life that we live and we're quite happy with how it is. We have the comforts around us and we don't want to risk losing them. Jonah struggles with comfort. The book of Jonah that we're working through here isn't the first time that we meet Jonah in the Bible. 
before God sends Jonah to Nineveh, back in the book of Kings, we actually see two kings, that Jonah was a prophet before he was sent to be a prophet to Nineveh. He was a prophet to Israel. God sends him to his home nation. We read in 2 Kings 14 that Jonah is sent by God to speak against King Jeroboam II. Jeroboam isn't ruling well, and so God says, go and call out against him. And Jonah says, yes. See, it's easy for Jonah to go when he's in the relative comfort of his own land, around his own people. And there have been lots of prophets who'd gone before Jonah who'd done the same thing. So Jonah knows how it's going to go. He's going to speak to the king. The, the king's going to hear, probably change some things. So there's not really much risk to Jonah. It's safe ground for him. But now, when the word of the Lord in chapter 1 comes to Jonah and tells him to go to the Ninevites, well, Jonah needs to step out of his comfort zone. He needs to follow God by faith. He needs to let go of his comfort. And so do we. There's no doubt that following God into his mission to save sinners can be costly. And it might risk our home comforts. And so often that is too much for us. And just like Jonah, we run. We run. Obedience to God and mission can be hard. Next, let's see this. Running from God, folks. Running from God is running from joy. The culmination of Jonah's fear and his preference and his apathy and his comfort is to run from the mission of God. And let's just see this. There's a boat there waiting for him. And I just want to say this. There is always a way out of obedience. There's always a metaphorical boat waiting for us to jump on. When God calls us to follow him and to walk in obedience, there's always an easier way out. And Jonah takes it. He runs away from God. But I want us to see that running away from God is always running away from joy, no matter how scary or uncomfortable or how costly the mission is. It's always running away from joy. And it's not hard to see in chapter one how that works out for Jonah, right? It doesn't hardly get better for him. Like he buys his fare for the ticket. He jumps on board. He thinks, oh, here we go. We're going to sail off into the sunset. It's all going to be all right. And it's anything but all right. Jonah's disobedience doesn't go well at all. In verse six, the captain of the ship wakes Jonah up from his sleep and they start questioning him. Like on whose account is this evil? Whose account is this disaster come upon us? And then they cast lots and they decide that the storm must be because Jonah's run away from God. And then they try and lighten the ship by throwing the cargo over, overboard, but it just gets worse. And then in verse 12, Jonah comes to the devastation conclusion. Okay, guys, pick me up and throw me overboard. It's because of me. The storm is here because of me. And if you just throw me overboard, then it will all stop. And the route out for Jonah is certain death. And the sailors run out of options, so reluctantly, they throw him overboard. And sure enough, the storm stops. It doesn't go well for Jonah at all, does it? Disobedience to God, folks, is disastrous. It always is. Hear that warning. Whether we're talking about the mission of God or whether we're talking about just walking in, in obedience away from sin, when we walk in disobedience, the result is disastrous. When we try and forge our own way and ignore the call of God, we're also forfeiting our joy. Firstly, because 
it's exhausting running from God. We're forfeiting our joy as we run away from God because it's exhausting. I've kind of reached that age as a a 30-year-old where a lot of my friends are taking up running and, uh, you know, trying to get this new lease of life. And a lot of my friends are the crazy type of runners who don't run, like, 5Ks. They go and do ultramarathons and um, strange things like that. And a friend of mine was running a trail, a 60-mile trail last week, which is just, like, we could just about drive 60 miles. He's running a 60-mile trail, and he gets uh, 10 miles in to the trail, and he starts to have diarrhea. Um, but he's, he's determined to keep on going, and so he keeps on going. And now, uh, this is going to get a bit grim, but if you've ever had diarrhea, and you're trying to run or walk at the same time, it's just very painful. But he's determined to keep going, and he goes on. He gets to about 50 miles or something before he has to stop, because blood is coming through his shorts. Like, he's chafing that much that he has to stop. He's exhausted. He's done in. He's absolutely finished. Another friend of mine ran the Boston Marathon last week, and he's a phenomenal runner. He ran it in two hours 40, which is just insane. The Boston Marathon is like the epitome of marathons. And the guy who won the marathon, I think, did it in two hours nine. So he's like 40 minutes behind the world's best marathon runner. But he gets to the end, and he's exhausted. There's nothing left. A bit like my friend who ran this, this ultra trail. He's emptied the tank. He's given it everything. And running does that to us, right? Some of you are thinking, after a mile, like I'm done in, I've emptied the tank after that, never mind 60 miles. But after we've ran, we feel it. It's tiring. It saps our energy and it's exhausting. And running from God, folks, is no different. It's exhausting. When we run in the opposite direction to where the Lord is calling us, it saps us of our energy, our spiritual energy, our emotional energy, and it's exhausting. And some of us know that, right, from experience, because we've done it and we, maybe we're there right now. We know the Lord is calling us to go this way or to stop doing this, and we're running in the other direction, and it is just sapping everything out of us. It's exhausting because as we're running away from God, We're either running, carrying a burden of guilt and shame because we know that we're disobeying God or we're running in our own strength and our own power. And we're thinking, yeah, I know what's best. Yeah, God's telling me to go this way and he's telling me to do this, but I really know what's best. And so we run in our own strength, thinking that we can discover our own joy. And the problem when when you're trying to do that is you never reach it. And so you have to keep on running and you never reach it. If you're there right now, I want you to hear that God has invited you to follow him, either maybe in faith for the first time or into his mission. And as he calls you to follow, he's not calling you into a mission that exhausts you. He's calling you into joy. See, we forfeit our joy when we run away because we're running in guilt or shame or we're running in our insufficient strength. And we forfeit our joy when we run away from God because we're running away from what is good. You know, when he calls us to follow him, when he calls us to walk in obedience to him, either, either for salvation or to follow him into his mission to save sinners, we need to believe that God is always calling us into something better. His ways are always higher. His ways are always better than any other path that we might be contemplating. See, it's interesting. The story of Jonah, it's easy to kind of step back and think, this is a story about God saving the Ninevites. And wanting to win the heart of the Ninevites. 
But it's also a story about God winning the heart of Jonah. He cares about the Ninevites and he cares about Jonah. Like, we have to believe that God could save the Ninevites without Jonah, right? Like, he could have chosen someone else to go and do it. He doesn't need Jonah to go, but he wants Jonah to go. He wants to engage in his mission with Jonah. He wants Jonah to experience the joy of of seeing what he's about to do to these 120,000 barbaric people. He wants him to experience the joy of God doing the miraculous of saving sins. He doesn't need Jonah to go, but he wants him to receive his joy. And so he says, Jonah, you're my man. Come with me, let's go. You know, when uh, Elizabeth started table in the park last year, those of us who went out, I'm sure you all felt the same. The first time you stand behind the table and you're talking to people, like it's scary. We get nervous. And we're there just sharing cakes and hopefully praying and sharing the gospel with people. But can I tell you this? There is no joy. There is no joy that compares with sharing your saviour with someone who doesn't know him. And if you've ever had the, 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 the real privilege of sharing the gospel with someone and seeing them come to faith, oh my goodness, there is nothing. There is nothing that will give you joy like that. God doesn't need us for his mission, folks. He wants us to go with him so that we can share in his joy. We run away from God. We run away from joy. Thirdly, we need to hear this. We cannot outrun God. We might try and run away from him. As he calls us into obedience, we might jump on the ship and try and go in the opposite direction. But we need to know this. We cannot outrun God. Back in uh, verse 3 there, we're told three times that Jonah's plan is to run to a place called Tarshish. Whenever something's repeated in the Bible, like we should just, ears should prick up and think, okay, why are we told that? Why do we hear Tarshish three times? Well, it's interesting, Tarshish doesn't exist as a place today, but the most likely place that it was, was a port city of Tarsessos, which is on the southern tip of Spain. You can't see anything there, can you? It's a blue circle with a few things going on. I'll talk us through. On the left-hand side there, away to the west is Spain. Away to the east is China. Now, when Jonah was alive at this time in history, that is what, what we thought the world was. They hadn't discovered the Americas. So as far as humanity were concerned, that was the known world. China to Spain. Right in the middle, you've got Babylon. That would have been where he was sent to, to go and take the, the news of salvation to the Ninevites. But instead of heading there, Jonah jumps on his ship and he heads off for Tartessos or Tarshish. He is literally heading to the edge of the world. He's running as far away from God as he can get. He's literally trying to escape God by running to the furthest place that he can get to. The distance between Joppa and Nineveh was around 3,000 miles. He is going to the ends of the earth to run away from God. But the good news is this. The good news for Jonah and the good news for all of us who are children of God. Even if we don't want this to be true in the moment, we cannot outrun God. We cannot hide from him. We can't outpace him. 
King David says this in Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for the darkness is as light as you. No matter where you try and run to no matter how fast you try and run no matter where you try to hide for the children of God there is no hiding from God he will track you down and he will pursue with everything that he has you know why because he loves you because you're his child and he will never let you go we cannot outrun God you cannot hide from God he will pursue you even to the ends of the earth as he was willing to do with Jonah And you know what's even more incredible? Even while you're running, if you're running in disobedience, even while you're running, he will do a work in you. That's interesting. Jonah's mission really was to go and take a message of salvation to a Gentile people. And we think, okay, that's what happens in chapter three. But actually it happens in chapter one. Did you see it? Jonah gets on the boat and there are pagan sailors on board. And he gives a bit of a gospel message in verse 9. I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. So he sent, God sends him, says, go to Nineveh, go and take this message to these people. God's heart, we see, obviously, by the end of the book is that he wants to save them. And by the end of chapter 1, these sailors are trusting in God. It's interesting, even while Jonah's running, God is working out his purposes even if he didn't realize it himself. Some of us might be in life situations where we're feeling, do you know what, God can't use me here. Or, or when I'm done with this situation, when I've worked through the situation, then God can use me. Or when life just gets a little bit better, or when I have that job, or when I have this amount of money, or when I live in that place, that's when I'll be useful to Jesus. That's when God can do a work through me. Folks, look at Jonah. He is running in the opposite direction. He is running away from God and God is working out his purposes in the midst of his disobedience. Jesus isn't limited by our circumstances or our resources or even our disobedience. His will will be done. So brothers and sisters, would you be bold enough? I'm not finished yet, by the way. Usually when I talk like that, it means I'm done. I'm not done, sorry. But would you be bold enough? To ask the Lord to use you today. To stop throwing out excuses of I'm not ready yet. Or I'm not in the right place. Or I'm too scared. Or I I don't want to let go of this thing. Or or do you know what? I don't even like these people. Would you be bold enough to ask the Lord to use you today? To ask him by the spirit to put aside your fear, your preference, your apathy, your comfort. To receive his joy as you walk with him in obedience in his mission as we do draw it to a close I want to land chapter 1 by drawing us to the person that chapter 1 is ultimately all about it's not about Jonah it's about Jesus Is the last thing that we see if you pop it up for his charis Jesus is our example if you want to know what it looks like to be obedient to God 
If we know where it look, if we want to know what it looks like to be obedient to God in the mission that He's called us into, don't look to Jonah. Don't look to anyone in this room. We look to Jesus. He is the great example of obedience. You know the way that Jonah one pans out. If you step back and you just look at the the narrative, hey Camwell, it's it's a familiar narrative. When you put it aside one of the stories in the Gospels that pops up. In the Gospels, we read of another boat that's overcome by a storm. And on this boat, the disciples and Jesus. And they're out on the seas, on the lake, just like Jonah is out on the sea. And we're told that the sailors are above deck. And as this storm whips up, the sailors fear for their lives. The disciples think that they're going to die. And the disciples come to the same conclusion that the the sailors in Jonah chapter 1 come to. They need to do something to stop them perishing. And just like Jonah, Jesus is below deck. And just like Jonah, Jesus is asleep. Jonah is asleep because he's apathetic to the mission. But Jesus is asleep, interestingly, because he's exhausted from the mission. And in both stories... The storms are calmed through a divine intervention. The storm in Jonah chapter 1 is calmed through Jonah being thrown overboard and being swallowed by a fish. The storm in the gospel story is calmed by Jesus commanding the winds and the waves to be still. It's interesting, Jonah in chapter 1, he's running away from Gentile sinners. When Jesus calms the storm, he's moving towards Gentile sinners. In Mark's account, the next stop for Jesus is when he goes and delivers out the demoniac. Ultimately, Jonah is swallowed up by the fish and he's taken into death for three days to pay for his disobedience. Where do the gospel leaders to see? Ultimately, Jesus is swallowed up for three days by death. As we see him nailed to the cross, but not to pay for his disobedience, but to pay for ours. So as we work through Jonah, we're going to see different lessons in mission, different lessons in what it looks like to us to be faithful missionaries. We're going to be reminded that we have no hope of stepping into the mission that God has called us into without Jesus. The mission is all about Jesus. It's all for Jesus. And it is all done with Jesus as his Holy Spirit works in us. And as we finish, if you just throw the last one up, Karis, and we take this meal, I want us to be reminded, we walk into mission with the Lord Jesus Christ. That means that we get to hold on to him. You know, when we're fearful, when we we know that we've got that opportunity to share the gospel with someone else and we get those sweaty palms and we we start getting anxious and we're thinking, I can't do this. He's with you. He's with you. So you don't need to be fearful. With Jesus with us, we get to draw on him. Sometimes we feel, do you know what? I'm not good enough. I don't know enough to, to be able to share with those around me. I'm not well equipped. I need to go on a training course for evangelism or something before I start sharing. Well, he's with you. And because he is present with you by his spirit and he has filled you with his spirit, you get to draw on him wherever you're lacking. If you're lacking in faith, you ask the spirit to give you that faith. 
If you're lacking in eloquency in the words to say, you ask the Spirit to give you the words to say. Folks, if you're lacking in opportunities, if you're sitting there and thinking, I don't even know anyone. I've got no one to share the gospel with. Then you draw on the Lord Jesus Christ and you ask him for those opportunities. He has everything that we need for his mission. And finally, we fall on him. And specifically, we fall on him when we fail, which we will. We are called into the mission of God to be used by him to save sins. And we should want to do that with every fiber of our being. But so often we'll fall into fear. So often we'll fall into apathy, we'll fall into preference, we'll fall into comfort, and we'll run away from God. But brothers and sisters in Christ, even in those moments, there's no condemnation for you. There is only grace. We go into mission, we don't go along alone. We go with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he dwells in us by his spirit. So hold on to him, draw on him. And when we fail, let us fall on him.